Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I wanted to talk to you about the power of unity. Now, we, most of us here, have read the book of Genesis, or at least know the, the account of the Tower of Babel. It was a tower that was begun, construction was begun, and at that time, all of the people that were known in the earth at that time all spoke the same language. And, and so they reasoned among themselves that they were going to build a city, and they're going to build a tower in this city that would reach into the heavens. And this city was going to be a fortified city, and they would have safety inside that city and those kind of things. And, and so they started, started to build this city, and, and, and God looks down from heaven, and he sees it. And, and the Lord said in verse 6, Behold, they are one people. Everybody say one. We all know what the word uni is. It's, uh, it means one. And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Everybody say that with me. And nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. He said that's what we have when we have the power of unity. And, you know, sometimes that unity can, can be disrupted when, when, when we have members that are hurt or whatever or or. or, or, or for whatever reason, I, I was just thinking in my mind as I was sharing this scripture about the, the Carolina Panthers who just barely escaped perfection in their regular season this year. And, and we know their story, how they went down to Atlanta and, and they ruined the, that, that part of the season for them as far as having a perfect record. I mean, the season's still good. They, they're, they're probably going to go to the Super Bowl if they maintain their unity. And I've heard it over and over again that the reason they've had success this year is because there's been unity in the locker room. Unity in the locker room translates to unity on the field. And because they were a unified group, they're able to go out there. I mean, they're not like, you know, 11 members on the team on offense or 11 on defense, you know, playing as individuals. But they're one. They're one team working together. They each have their part to do but they're doing it, and they're doing it well. And when somebody blows an assignment or they don't do what they're supposed to do, it disrupts the whole flow and the scheme of the play that they're trying to do. If somebody runs a route in the wrong direction and the quarterback's expecting to throw it over here, what's going to happen? You're going to give a gift to the other team. They're going to take it back for a touchdown. And so, so you have to pay attention to what's going on. And in order to do that, you all have to speak the same thing. Now, what would it be if, if Cam Newton was given a call by the coach and he changed that call midstream and goes over and tells the players, we're not going to run that play, we're going to run this play. And then all the players get out over here and the tight end over here says, well, I'm going to do this. And, and the, the wide receiver says, I'm going to do this. And, and the guys up front say, I'm just not going to block. What do you think is going to happen? Chaos is going to ensue. That's, that's right. Because you've got to have unity in order to make things work. And when God looked down and he saw what was going on in Babel, in Babel, he saw that the things they were doing were working because they were working in perfect harmony. So he said, we can't have this, you know. And so he said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go and confuse their languages. 
So these people that have been speaking English to one another, we all think, whatever language they were speaking, and they were all speaking the same thing. They say English is the universal language, so I guess it was English. I don't know. So they're all talking to one another, you know, and, and so Jeb over here, Jebutha says, uh, hey, Hananam, would you hand me that brick? And Hananam says, no comprende. And so now they can't communicate with each other. The communication is broken down. How do you think the enemy operates in homes and in friendships and relationships? He disrupts our communication. We say something that we didn't mean to say. It comes out the wrong way. We get, let our, our, our mouth get in gear before our brain has an opportunity to engage. And we say something that is hurtful. That mis- miscommunication causes an offense. What's an offense? For those of you who have been blessed enough to go through the bait of Satan with John Bevere, you know what an offense is. It's literally translated out of, out of Luke chapter 17, verse 1. The word offense, he said, Jesus said, it's impossible, but offense, but that offenses should come. That word offense is the word scandalon, which means bait stick. You know what a bait stick is? How many hunters we have in here? When I was a little boy, we used to make bait sticks. My my brothers taught me how to make a snare. My brother Ronnie was an astute hunter. He loved to hunt. He he told me how, show me how to bend down a a branch, take a string, tie to it, and and you take a stick at the bottom, and and you kind of just barely hang that little snare inside that stick. Just notch a little notch in it, drive it in the ground, barely stick it in there. And you put that noose around the stake, a little stake in the ground, and you put some food there. Well, some unsuspecting little varmint or bird or whatever would come along, and they would reach across to get the seed, and when they did, they would hit that little noose, and it, next thing you know, they're... Sounds horrendous, doesn't it? It is. And that's exactly what offense does. That's exactly what happens when we get offended. We take the bait. You see, we have a choice as to whether we're going to get offended or not. We don't have to get offended. Has anybody ever tried to offend a dead man? I I challenge you to do it. Next time you happen to be in a place you really don't want to be, like a funeral home or something, and, and you see someone, go up to them when nobody's around and just say something really bad to them and see what will happen. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. Why? Because they're dead. And when we're dead to ourselves, and our own selfish desires, and our own needs, and everything else, we refuse to let offense settle in. Now, I'm human just like the rest of you. And Jesus said it's impossible but that offenses should come. As a matter of fact, that's the only time in the Bible where the disciples ever spoke back to Jesus and says, Lord, increase our faith, because that's the only time you really need it more than any other time is when you've been offended, because it's virtually impossible to be, not be offended. It takes a lot of grace in order to do that. 
Jesus is the only one I know that was able to do, to successfully do it because, you know, he was assaulted and he was accused and he was abused and everything else, and yet he, he didn't open his mouth. He went all the way to the cross. He refused to be, uh, to be offended, and, and, and he became an offense for us. The Bible says that, that he became sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's another story, and we'll get there another time. But right now, I, I want to talk about what offense does. Satan knew exactly what it would take to break up relationships, miscommunication, misunderstanding that leads to offense and broken relationships. You know, there was a, there was a Peanuts cartoon, and, and Lucy, everybody knows who Lucy is. How many remember the Peanuts cartoon? Well, fortunately, we have enough people in here who still remember Charles Schultz and Peanuts, and it's still in, in syndicate, and so it's still coming out. So Lucy, she, she comes into a room, and Linus is watching TV. And she demands that he change the TV channels, and she even threatens him with her fist if he didn't. And he says, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And she said, these five fingers. She says, individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And Linus says, which channel do you want? And turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> Paul, you know, Paul says pretty much the same thing when he defines the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12, he says, the body is a unit. Everybody say unit. Inside that word unit, what do you see? U-N-I. So if you are a unit, then you are, everybody say one. You are one. He says the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all the parts are many, they form one body, a unit. Now, I'm not just talking about getting a bunch of people together. That's not unity. Unity is when we align together our thoughts and our purpose. There can be union without, there can be union without unity. Do you know that? If you don't believe it, just take a couple of tomcats, tie their tails together, and sling them over a clothesline. You see what I'm talking about. They're together, but they don't have any unity. I guarantee you that. And, and just getting people together and getting things together does not create unity. And, and we can also be distinct in the way that God made us. We have distinctly different individual gifts and talents, but when we align our purposes with God, we become one. We not only become one together, we become, we become one with him. You know, the problem with the, with the people of Israel is they never could get in unity. It started out all right. But they didn't even get across the Red Sea till they started grumbling. As a matter of fact, they didn't even make it through the Red Sea and they were already grumbling. And, and, and God destroyed them in the wilderness because of their mumbling and their grumbling and their complaining. They just never could get on board with the purpose of God. Now, God had told them, I'm going to take you to a land that has been promised. I'm going to take you there if you will just follow the leader. And they looked at Moses as Moses looks good, so let's go. They saw all the things Moses did through the power of God. You know, they saw the ten miracles that God did through Moses, and they were awesome. So he had already proven to them that he was the one. So they start out together, and they don't get very far until they're already 
mumbling, grumbling, and complaining. You know, this food that we're getting, manna. You know what manna means? What is it? That's what it means. When the stuff fell down from heaven and they started gathering up, and said, what is this stuff? What is it? And they tasted it. Yeah, it's not, not too bad, kind of like a vanilla wafer. But it sustained them. And, and they didn't like it. You know, I mean, God gave them manna from heaven, and that wasn't good enough. They had to, had to complain about that. So, so God gave them meat, and they complained about that. And, and, and then they didn't have any water. God gave them water from a rock. They complained about that. They complained about everything. And, and, and you know, it will always disrupt the flow. Now, I usually tell this story at least once a year, so get, get ready and hang on. You probably know it by now, about the buffalo. Anybody remember about the buffalo herd? Some of you remember. I see some shaking their head like this. Well, there was a herd of buffalo, and they were thundering across the plain. Huge herd of buffalo. The lead buffalo was out front. Man, he's just tearing it up. And all of a sudden, he just puts on the brakes. And all these buffalo with their horns and everything, their heads down, they start bumping into each other, and they're flying all over the place, flesh getting torn, and buffalo screaming. I don't know how buffalo screams, but they were doing it. Here are all these bruised, battered, bloody buffalo laying all over the place. And the second lead buffalo says to the lead buffalo, says, why on earth did you do that? He says, I thought I heard a discouraging word. (laughs) That will do it. When we start talking down in the mouth, when we start mumbling and grumbling and complaining, it's never good enough. We want more. It's not... You know, we, we're never satisfied with what God gives us. And so we complain. Well, let's move on a little bit. <laughs> Nothing is more powerful than unity. You believe that? Think of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities, yet one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, Jesus said in John 17, he prayed for his disciples, and this is what he prayed. He didn't pray, God, that you would make them the most powerful force known to man or the wisest or the most knowledgeable. You know what he prayed for them? He prayed, Lord, that they may be one. Everybody say one. Even as you and I are one. That was Jesus' prayer for them. And Paul writes to the church in, in Corinth. And you know, Paul was trying to help this young church that he had, he had founded in Corinth. He wasn't able to stay there too long, but he stayed just long enough to get things going, put people in place, and then he left. Then they had an evangelist come through, and a lot of people got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues and stuff. And Paul, Paul said, you know, he said to them, he said, I, I'm, I'm glad you speak in tongues because I speak in tongues more than you all. But he also had this to say to them in the, in the first chapter. He says this. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. 
I believe the King James Version says, I would that you would all speak the same thing. Say the same thing. Now, I, I've broken this down for you. I exegeted it. You know what exegesis is, don't you? It means to dig it out. I dug out the truths around this. I went to the Greek, and I, I dug these things out. And, and the words, I appeal to you, is parakaleo. It means to ask, to beg, to urge, to plead. I appeal to you, brothers. I beg you. I urge you. I plead with you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, here's the next one, agree with one another. This is the compound word taken from the word lego and altos. Lego means to say, to tell, to ask, and to answer. Altos means he, she, it, the same one. So say the same one. Say the same words. And that you be perfectly united. Katartizo, it means to restore, to put in order. Well, let me back up. I, I, I missed one. And that's a very important one. He says, and see to it that there be no division, schism. What is that? It's a tear, a split, a division among you. And that you be perfectly united, which is katartizo. It means to restore, to put in order, to mend, to make complete, to train, to prepare, to ordain. Wow. Wow. That sounds like what God has put in our heart to do, to help others to find and fulfill their God-given purpose. You know, I... I set out years ago to write down the vision that God had put in my heart because the, God said to uh, Zechariah to write down the vision and make it plain that they that read it may run with it. And so I wrote out the vision for, for Destiny City. And, and God put it in my heart. I wrote it out. I shared it with you last year. Guess what? I'm going to share it with you again beginning next week. Because I want you to know what vision God has put in our heart and where God wants us to go and what it's going to take to get there. We have to have goals and objectives. We have to have somewhere because where we're going because someone said this one time, he that aims at nothing will hit it every time. But God's called us to do something. But not individually, not for just me to do it, but for us to do it collectively as one. Everybody say one. So we, if we're going to be one, then we can't have any divisions against us. We can't have any division against us. What is the word division? Schism. When you think of the word division in the English, it's actually a compound word, which is die, which means two visions. Two visions. Let there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united to restore, to put in order, to mend, to make complete, train, prepare, ordain, and autos. He, she, it, the same one. Wow, it's all of us, every one of us. So God is saying to us through Paul that this applies to everybody, the whole body, every one of us that are part of the body of Christ. Would you say with me, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a part of his body. You are. I belong to you. You belong to me. So where does that take us? We're to have one mind. That you be perfectly united in mind. That word mind is nuos. Nuos. It means thinking or understanding or insight and thought. 
Nome, purpose, resolve, judgment, consent. So when we think together, we sit down, we develop a plan, we work it out, and then we work our plan. Then God can bring things into order. God is a God of order. One of the things that God has laid on my heart to do this year is to start really emphasizing membership, church membership. We have a course that every one of us is going to go through if you're going to be a part of, of, of Destiny City called I Am a Church Member. And it just lays it out there. Just shows us what being a church member is all about and, and what that involves and what not only my responsibilities to you are, but what your responsibilities to the church and to God are. It just lays it out there, plain and simple. And I think it's important that we all know that to understand that being a part of a church or being a church member doesn't just mean that you just come pay your tithes and wait to die so I can bury you. It means so much more than that. It's funny. I mean, you laugh, but I've had people that all of a sudden, when, when someone passes away, they're one of our members that I never met. You know what I'm talking about? But that's not what the body of Christ is all about. It's, an, it's something of intricate design. It's something that God has put together. It is of his doing. It's so that we can do the work of the kingdom of God so we can advance the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know why there's so many sick and suffering? Do you know why there are so many drug addicts and, and pimps and prostitutes? Do you know why there's so many people strung out on alcohol and everything else? It's because the church has lost its way and we're not united. Either say amen or ouch. And we got to get it together. We got to get it together. Every one of us. God has placed it in order. And Paul writes in Ephesians that we are not only to work, but to strive for unity and strive to keep it. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I could stop right there and, and just camp out and preach all day. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. <coughs> Can I get some water? And Paul doesn't tell us to do something if he doesn't tell us how. Then he says in verse 1, he says, be completely humble. Wow. Be completely humble. This is huge. Billy Graham says, one sure indicator that you're not humble is when you say you are. It's not about saying that I'm a humble person or, or, or you know, I'm uh, just a worm and uh, I have no value to God. That's not humility. If you think that way, that you have no value to God, that's just stupidity. That's not humility. Because God... Loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That's valuable. We have to stop thinking that we are just a little worm, that we're of no value. You are of intricate value, and God has put his spirit inside of you, and there's nothing in, that you cannot do because of what God has put inside of you. Ephesians 3.20 says, For he is exceedingly, abundantly, 
able to do above and beyond anything we can ask or think. How? According to the Spirit that works within you. How's God going to get anything done if he doesn't use us? Jesus said in John 14, 12, when he told them he was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the reason why he was sending the Holy Spirit is because he said, greater works shall you do than these because I go to my Father. See, he was going back. He had already finished, fulfilled what he came to do, his purpose here on earth. He was going back to the Father. But he said, well, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you. He'll be with you. He'll guide you in all truth. But more importantly, he'll give you power to be witnesses unto me. <coughs> now, I've never been to Jerusalem or Samaria. But I guess I'm one of the parts of the uttermost part of the earth. I haven't seen Judea either. But I'm one of those that are far off from when Paul or Peter was saying that in Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 2. Whoa, praise the Lord. That was Don Garropy. He's getting excited. <coughs> and that's good. <laughs> All right, be humble. There's no room for egos in God's kingdom. We're commissioned to serve Christ, to love and serve others. Considering them more important than ourselves. And this requires humility. You can't do it without it. Then he says, be gentle. Gentleness is the fruit of the spirit-filled life. When we completely surrender to God and his will, gentleness just flows out of who we are. Forbearing. He says, be patient. You back up. Be patient. Again, this is a fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.22. And it flows out of a spirit-filled life. It isn't something we have to strive for. It's just something that becomes natural when you walk in the Spirit. Paul says when you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? And then the last one is forbearing. You know what forbearance is? Somebody said this is the bearings that the church runs on, forbearings. In the Greek, it's the word anikomai. It means to put up with or to endure. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been wrestling with this cold thing for a couple of days. I'm over it in the name of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me a moment. Sometimes we have to just reach way down into the bowels of grace and mercy just to put up with some people in our lives. You might know what I'm talking about. Anybody ever have abrasive people in your life? No. I mean, you don't have to raise your hands. I can see it on your face. But God puts abrasive people in our life for a purpose. Because we're all lively stones. I used to work in a place, the fabrication company, or a fab, big, huge fab shop that made conveyor belts. And I remember sometimes when we'd get caught up, or <clears throat> if the guy that, that worked over near the paint shop who who did all of the, uh, they had what they, some kind of tub thing, I forget what they call it, pebble washing or something. <coughs> and they'd have to put brackets and things inside of this thing. It was like this huge tub, and it had these little stones in it. It was full, of, it had water or some kind of liquid in it. 
And you just throw those things in there and you'd leave them in there and they would just go round and around and around and around and around. And what it would do was knock off the rough edges. And when you pull those brackets out of those things, they would be all shiny and smooth all over. And that's kind of what those abrasive people are in your life. <coughs> Excuse me. I know that's annoying. It's annoying to me too. But God sends those people into our lives. He allows them into our lives to help us. And when those kind of folks come in your life, you just have to remember these, this one thing. It's something that the Lord taught me a long time ago. Even as much as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. For whatever reason, those people are abrasive. They're still God's people. You still got to love them. <coughs> and it doesn't mean you have to take them out to dinner all the time. But you still got to love them. We're not excused from loving people. God gives us the ability. And the only way we can do it is to do it in love. Paul goes on to say in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Does it say, make a pretty good effort? Now, what does it mean to make every effort? It means you don't stop trying. Because if you stop trying, you haven't made every effort, have you? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is... Say it with me. One body and one spirit. (coughs) Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. Who is over all and through all and in all. And there's so much that we can do together that we can no way do by ourselves. As a matter of fact, it says in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one. Because if one is alone, if he falls, who's going to help him get up? Anybody ever seen the picture of the turtle sitting on top of the fence post? And he says in the caption, I didn't get here by myself. I can assure you he didn't. Because he wasn't equipped to climb, but there was someone else who was equipped to pick him up and put him there. And we all have differing gifts in the body of Christ. But God has called us to be one. To use those gifts in harmony with the purposes that God has established before us. To walk in tandem, to walk in unity with those in leadership over us that God has placed us under. To those who God has placed alongside us, whether they're abrasive or not. Most of all, to say the same thing. (coughs) Excuse me again. (laughs) There's so much we can do together. So we've had a taste of what unity can do, just getting in this place. I had someone come in the other day, and they hadn't seen the place since we started on it. And they came in, and they just stepped back, and they just said, wow. Wow. I can't believe how much you guys have gotten accomplished in such a short time. 
I said, well, it took a whole lot of work, took a whole lot of grit, but it took a whole lot of unity to get it done. It took all of us working together to accomplish what we got accomplished in such a short time. So you see what unity can do. And that's, you know, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're along for the ride. I mean, if, if all you did was a little bit, you did something. You contributed. Kind of reminds me of, the, of, an, of, of a mouse that hitched a ride on a giant African elephant's back. And this mouse was sitting on this elephant's back, and they're traipsing along this trail out in the jungle, and they come to this huge chasm that was probably a couple miles deep. And the elephant comes up, and he looks at the chasm, and he, but there's some food on the other side that he wants to get to. And he was determined. And he looks, and there's a swinging bridge. So he goes over, and he starts across that bridge with his mouse on his back. And as he's walking, you can just imagine this huge, giant African elephant going across the swinging bridge. And that bridge is shaking and trembling and swaying all over the place. And they get to the other side, and the elephant just stops, you know, and lets out a big <laughs> He is so relieved to be across that bridge. And the mouse runs up to his ear and says, man, did we ever shake that thing? (laughs) But he was along for the ride. He was part of it. He didn't do what the elephant did, but he was a part of it. Someone said one time, it doesn't matter. Oh, no, it says, it's amazing what can be accomplished as long as it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Anybody ever heard that? It's amazing what can get accomplished when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. Now, I think about all the guys that put hard work into this place, and I, I can think of one person who was here every single day. Every day. And, and you know, was here before people came and after people left every day and he's never asked for any accolades or anything else or any money or anything he just did it as unto the Lord some of you know exactly who I'm talking about and and so much got accomplished through his leadership and that was that was Frank Ostroska we owe a lot to Frank we really do and he did so much to help us get into this place and and continues. Why did he do it? So I would stand up and tell everybody how wonderful he is? No. He's probably embarrassed to death that I'm doing it right now. But I just want you to know that there's so much can be accomplished. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. You know? When we stand before the Lord... God will bless us. He will reward us for the works we did here on this earth. But if we want to go around and trumpet it and shout about it and pat ourselves on the back, then guess what? We've already got our reward. But there's a crown of life laid up for us already just for being there. But there's so much more that God wants to give us as rewards in heaven. The Bible talks about that. But, you know, if we walk in unity, it means we all get rewarded the same. It means we all share in it. 
when we send missionaries on the field as a body of believers, when we give, God knows your heart and knows how much you can give and how you want to give and and whether you want to give or not. But to those who give, no matter how much it is, God will reward you accordingly because it's called what? Sowing seed. That's another message, and I'm not going to go there, but I just want to kind of touch on that a little bit. But I wanted to talk about that one thing, unity. The psalmist said how good and pleasant it is in the eyes of God when brethren dwell together in unity. You see, that's where the anointing comes from. It's like the oil that flowed down from Aaron when he was anointed. And it flowed down even to his beard and even to his priestly garments. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, the Bible says. That's what the unity is like and what, how precious it is in the eyes of God. God wants us to strive for it. So I want to encourage you as believers, as members of the body of Christ, to encourage, to speak the same thing. Don't speak those discouraging words that's going to stop the herd. Speak those things that edify. Don't let any discouragement come from your lips. Don't be quick to get offended because offense will disrupt unity because if you get offended, then you will start to criticize and judge and everything else. So strive. Everybody say strive. Endeavor. (laughs) Work. To keep the unity of the faith. It's not easy. It's not easy. And there are evidences of it everywhere. We see fractured companies, fractured churches, fractured families. Because of disunity. Because of miscommunication. Because of offense. Because of those kind of things that divide people. Speak of those things which unite. I'll tell you one thing that unites better than anything else that I know of. When we come together and we pray together. When we come together and we pray together and we worship together, God begins to work some things out in us. What happens is as we begin to pray and we want to get closer to God and we, we desire to have that intimacy with Him. And in order to do that, you have to clean the closets because He's a holy God. And He says, be holy even as I am holy. And God will begin to reveal to you things in your own life that need to be dealt with. And soon we'll begin to discover that my problems are not everybody else's problems. They're mine. I'm the one who needs healing. I'm the one who needs patience. I'm the one who needs to speak encouragement to others. Jesus said it this way. He says, you reap what you sow. Didn't he? He said, if... If you judge another person, then with the same judgment that you judge that other person, with the same measure used to judge him is going to be the measure that you're going to be judged with. Think about that. So the next time you start to judge somebody, just think, well, I'm I'm putting something out that's going to come back to me. Except it's going to hit me a lot harder than it did them. So think about that. Strive to keep the unity. What does it mean to keep the unity? Say the same thing. How do we say the same thing? Just say what God's saying. 
Say what the Holy Spirit is saying. And we're all in tune. So that's the direction we want to take. I want to invite you all to come tonight. Last week we had a good group that came out for prayer. And, uh, you know, one of the things that goes along with fasting, and I called you to fasting last week, and I know a lot of people are doing it. And that's great. That's fantastic. It's awesome. But what goes along with prayer, with fasting, is prayer. So when we come together, we have that unified prayer. The Bible says that if, if any two of you agree on earth is touching anything, and you ask of the Father, my name, I will do it. When he says any two of you, what is he speaking of? Two becoming one in agreement, praying together. James said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there's something in that when we get together, we pray for one another. It builds unity. It builds continuity, cohesiveness. That's what God is after in us. It takes a whole lot of love to hold it all together. That's the glue that holds unity together. So if we endeavor to keep the unity, what must we also endeavor to do? Love. We have to endeavor to love. Wow, that's a choice, isn't it? We make a choice to love. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.